Good morning. Welcome to Money Management. Happy Easter weekend. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group. And we're here as we are every Saturday at 9 Pacific talking with you about the markets and the economy and giving you some insights into what's going on without all the, how might I say, spin factor added into it. Uh, A most interesting week, even though it was only four days long because of Good Friday. Markets are closed on Good Friday. Uh, We had the Dow closing uh, April 1st, no fooling. It closed at 33,153. S&P was up at 4019. The NASDAQ ended at 13,480. The uh, Russell 2000 at 2253. Gold settled at $1,727 an ounce. Silver at $24.61. Crude at 61.63 a barrel, the 10-year at 1.67%, and soft white wheat was last quoted at $7.62 a bushel. Now, we're going to get uh, next week not much in terms of uh, economic news, but we will get the uh, minutes from the Fed's last meeting, so we'll get some insights into what those folks were thinking about. And a little note that came out from the IRS uh, you have until May 17th to contribute, uh, make your contributions for 2020 to your IRAs or health savings accounts. So good gouge there. Now, Peter Lynch, who was, uh, well, is uh, probably the best fund manager that ever was. He used to run the Fidelity Magellan Fund once upon a time. He has a great phrase. He said, I'm always fully invested. It's a great feeling to be caught with your pants up. And we certainly got caught with our pants up here in this uh, first quarter. Now, just on a shorter version, the S&P did set multiple new highs this past week. Thursday, uh, it broke the 4,000 barrier for the first time in history, which is Nice to know. It's not particularly indicative of anything, but everybody seems to like those big round numbers. The index finished the day at 4,019. That was just fractionally below its latest record, which was at 4020. And uh, just for what it's worth, the S&P first closed above 400 in uh, December 91. Uh, so it's uh, not that long ago that we were much lower. Now, as far as the quarter was concerned, the Dow and the S&P climbed 6.6% and 4.3% respectively last month in their fourth positive month in five. That's a good trend. And for the quarter, the Dow and S&P were up 7.8% and 5.8% respectively. That's a fourth positive quarter in a row. The S&P again setting a new high um, on Thursday. Now, the NASDAQ in March gained just four-tenths of a percent. They were all over the place, but for the quarter, it did gain 2.8%. However, in uh, kind of an interesting little variation, the Dow beat the NASDAQ in the first quarter by the most in about 15 years. That's all due to this reflation economy, excuse me, well, reflation trade where we're moving into those kinds of stocks that benefit from increased um, economic activity. And let's see, you know, one thing I think, just as an aside, uh, folks need to understand, uh, contrary to what the uh, commercials are on the uh, NCAAs right now, the uh, NASDAQ 100 is not the stock market. 
you can't actually be invested in the market with ex- without exposure to the financials and natural resources. So you're really just in a big sector, a segment of the market without all that other stuff. And I think a lot of investors have been learning this the hard way. See, tech it represents in the Nasdaq 100. Tech is 44% of that, so that's a lot, and it leads to additional price fluctuations because of the concentration there. Now, gold had a small crash last month. It made its third straight monthly decline, had its biggest quarterly drop since December 2016. Silver down about 9% for the month. The small cap index, the Russell 2000, is up over 43% over the last six months. That's doubled the return of the Dow and S&P. And again, reflective of the reflation economy. Uh, according to Chris Hussey, he's uh, uh, at, at uh, Goldman Sachs, he, and I'm quoting, investors have chosen to do a bit of sell on the news of the infrastructure plan and have taken profits in infrastructure beneficiaries, such as the energy materials and industrial sectors, and rolled over into the tech-laden sectors that have been beneficiaries of the pandemic. Now, one other thing that was added just for what it's worth, uh, one of the analysts said the spending bill was largely in line with expectations and is being met with indifference by stock markets that have perhaps pre-traded this spending for weeks already. And now we'll move along to the world-famous economic reports. Uh, and again, this is just more of the same in a good way. Uh, well, this particular part isn't particularly great. This is from the Wall Street Journal. The federal budget deficit hit an all-time record high of $3.1 trillion last year. Now, with the recent blowout, quote-unquote, stimulus bill, it's set to be even higher uh, this year. And now we have a... Perf- potential infrastructure bill which could run as much as an extra two trillion over the next 10 years you know uh everett dirksen a a a former senator from illinois he used to say a million here a million here there it all adds up well now we have to use the t word you know a trillion here a trillion there it all adds up economists forecast uh, that uh, our gross domestic product grew by about 5.4% 5.4% for the first quarter, which ended uh, on Wednesday. However, estimates for the second quarter are much higher and have been rising. The median growth forecast for the second quarter, uh, again, in the U.S., and this according to uh, Moody's Analytics Rapid Update, and there you go. Anyhow, the uh, forecast for the second quarter is now 9.3%, and let it let the record reflect that the higher real GDP growth goes, the higher average annual stock market returns tend to grow. So let's keep beating that GDP drum. Now, private payrolls, this number came out on Wednesday, uh, expanded at its fastest rate in six months. Companies added 517,000 folks. That was up from 176,000 in February, which, had, which itself was re, uh, revised higher. Now, uh, in in other job-related news, 42% of all order, all owners report job openings they can't fill in the current period, and that's up from February, now at a record-high reading. Employer demand is strong across the board, but particularly for skilled workers. Owners are frustrated with mounting unfilled job openings as, and here's the operative term, qualified candidates are, are scarce. Now, uh, in, uh, what was it, Friday, uh, there, the uh, jobs report came out, even though the market was closed, and the Labor Department said that 
U.S. employers blew way past expectations, adding 916,000 jobs last month. That certainly reaffirms the accelerating employment trend. And the unemployment rate, and again, this is nationally, and it's determined by a separate survey, down to 6%. Still a little high, but it's going in the right direction. Tom Essay, he's founder of the Sevens Report, uh, had this note uh, this week. He said, economic stimulus is no longer 100% virtuous in the eyes of the market. That's because it will bring with it higher rates, rising inflation expectations, and erosion of the idea that the Fed will be on hold for the entirety of this year. Additionally, all this stimulus is being used to offset and usher in tax increases on individuals, corporations, and investments, unquote. Uh, the Consumer Index uh, in March jumped to its highest rating in a year. So once again, the trend's going in the right direction. And OPEC, uh, along with their buddies uh, led by Russia, agreed to add 350,000 barrels a day to production, once again indicating that the economies globally are starting to pick up. And the Institute for Supply Supply management, uh, and I think this is a significant bit of news, reported that its index of factory activity, and again, driven by strong growth in new orders for goods, production, inventory levels, commodity prices, anyhow, it all rose to its highest level in more than 37 years. Now, that's a bunch. Now, like I said, the trends are all going in the right way. The expansion, which is and no surprise, driven largely by American consumers uh, venturing out in public again, was broad-based with demand rising from every industry. In my experience in dealing with the markets, there seems to be this, like, uh, <laughs> changing focus. The media and uh, yeah, talking heads get all focused on one thing, and everybody's talking about it. La, 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 goes on for a little while, and boom. That subject totally drops off the horizon, and we're back on something new. So what we've done in lately, it seems to me, is that folks, investors, have gone from worrying about the potential for another depression last March, anyway, and now their biggest risk being seen as inflationary spikes uh, coming from a combination of government spending, supply constraints, and, of course, pent-up demand. Now, you know, for the record, uh, the last and only period of sustained high inflation ended just about 40 years ago. Paul Volcker was chairman of the Fed, Mr. Reagan, president, and they just said, okay, that's all, we're going to break the back of it, and they did, and it was no fun while it was going on. But the fact is that nothing about the future course of inflation and interest rates is even remotely predictable, period. Do not waste your time listening to or trying to discern these things. Um, it, 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 you know, it's market-driven, and markets change. Now, we know that higher commodity prices are starting to affect folks. Companies are raising prices for many staples, or they're doing another trick where they reduce the amount of product you're buying for the same uh, price. Kimberly Clark says it plans to adjust selling prices across most of its consumer products to counter rising raw material costs. It's a pass on. I mean, that's what they're going to do. I mean, that's just normal. General Mills, Hormel, J.M. Smucker, you know, these are food folks. They're all raising product prices. So here's what we know now. The U.S. 
I don't know if it's consciously or unconsciously, is, is now on a historic uh, economic experiment. On top of the new quote-unquote American Rescue Plan, more about that later, the government has committed in excess of $5 trillion to fiscal support since this virus foolishness all began. That's 25% of the entire pre-pandemic economy. That's a lot of money. Now, with the lockdowns and full retreat, the economy was already set to soar. Americans are currently holding upwards of $2 trillion in excess savings. That's uh, untapped buying power that, well, hasn't been seen since the end of World War II. Not at those same levels, but adjusted for inflation and stuff. Inflation expectations already rising sharply. Uh, the bond market is uh, kind of an indicator, I, I guess a therm thermometer to help you decide which way those things are going. Uh, the average inflation uh, as the bond market sees it uh, was over the next five years was just one half of 1% last summer. Now it's recently moved past two and a half percent. Now that's a huge uh, percentage move, but it, in actuality, the rate is still quite low, but it's up compared to where we've been, and therein lies some of the challenges, I believe, which, what, with what people are saying about it. Uh, because most people, you know, we haven't had high, quote-unquote, high interest rates since Cranky. I don't know. I can't even remember uh, what we call high interest rates, but it's certainly more than 15 years. And uh, inflation uh, in the same area. So most folks have no experience with rates above nothing and inflation much above 2%. So they're all seeing it as something very significant. Well, you know, those perceptions can goof up prices, but uh, they don't, in effect, change the math of it. Now, there's always going to be an inflation scare in there somewhere. You know, the larger question, I believe, remains is that what will the outcome of all this unprecedented economic experiment be? And how do you, as a card-carrying, dues-paid-up, goal-focused, strategy-driven, long-term investor deal with it? Well, how can you make long-term rational investment policy based on these unknowables? Well, they're always going to be unknowables, aren't they? Remember the market, the thing of the certainty of uncertainty. Now, it doesn't seem even probable that any country, any country, anywhere, can continue indefinitely to increase its debt faster than GDP growth. At some point, operative term, one would reasonably expect that there might be negative consequences uh, resulting in higher inflation, a falling dollar, and or rising interest rates, or maybe even a combo. So when you look at it that way, I think it becomes clear that that at some point issue is something you really got to focus on because you need to question whether, how, and especially when you think you should adjust your investment policy. Most often, the only answer has been along the lines of get out and wait and see what happens. Well, you know, if you do that, it's about the same thing as saying that forget any hope you may have of ever ahead of funding a lifestyle sustaining reti retirement. That's because such an outcome is almost always based on long-term stock returns, and the only way you get the long-term stock returns is to ride the market. Now, it cannot, it cannot, and this is math, 
It cannot be pursued by sitting in cash or cash equivalents, you know, CDs, money markets, all that stuff, with low to no effective returns for an indeterminate length of time. Now, here's something we suggest you might want to, you know, kind of factor into your thought process. Now, we know that the acceleration in inflation is certainly a possibility, I would say even a probability, as the economy roars back, particularly given this other jolt of stimuli, which may have turned out to be a bit unnecessary, if not even counterproductive. We don't know for sure that it'll happen, when it'll happen, or the extent to which it'll go on before the Fed steps in and says, well, wait a minute, we got to stabilize this party. Nor can we be sure how or even if the market will react. So you get this double dose of uncertainty again, again, the certainty of uncertainty. You can always get that in the marketplace. Given how much we either don't or can't know, you have to ask yourself, should I really be making any big changes in my investments because of this one thing? Here's what we do know. Since you've taken the time, either personally or together with your advisor, one, you know what your goal is in terms of the sum you're trying to accumulate by the time you retire. Two, you know what the strategy is for getting there based on historical stock market returns. Three, you know your stock portfolio is very well suited to that strategy. And four, you know that if the market does back up, because of increased inflation or something, shoot, hasn't even showed up yet, it will be a buying opportunity because of increased inflation or something else we haven't thought of. In, in, in a sense, you want it to back up, you know, buy low, sell high, that kind of thing. You know, my approach has always been to first help our clients set those meaningful goals. Then we create a strategy and structure investments to meet those goals. Given that your goals haven't changed, I strongly recommend that you don't change your plan. And if you're not changing your long-term plan, then I don't think you should be tinkering with your long-term portfolio. Now, you'll note that this tactic, stressing the unknowability of the apocalypse du jour versus the soundness of a long-term strategy, isn't just a way of dealing with the specter of increased inflation. It's the way of dealing with the challenge of economic and market uncertainties you will be running for the rest of your lives, actually. So, oops, it looks as if we're coming upon yet another break. How do they get here so fast? I don't know. Well, we're going to be talking, uh, I'm going to be giving you some thoughts, uh, outlooks from uh, different uh, market analysts and uh, economists and what have you. And then I'm going to uh, do a piece that, well, basically it's a, a review of what the Wall Street Journal has written about the American Rescue Plan. And, um, well, I think it's uh, fairly interesting, and hopefully you'll be able to stick around and hear what all this means. Dr. Ed Yardini, he's been around a while, he says both... The S&P 500 forward revenues and forward earnings have now fully recovered what they lost during the first few months of the pandemic. The weekly forward revenues, earnings, and profit margin series are all excellent coincident indicators, and all three remain bullish on the fundamentals for the S&P 500. He's an economist, by the way. Uh, the analysts at Evercore ISI wrote, the significant tailwinds propelling stocks remain higher. 
investors seem to understand that faster growth, rising earnings growth expectations, still low corporate borrowing costs along with pent-up consumer demand will fuel further market gains, they say. Now, some analysts at Goldman Sachs uh, in a recent Outlook piece uh, said they now expect 8% economic growth this year and an unemployment rate of 2% by year end, which would again be down 2%. Excuse me. It's an unemployment rate of 4% by year end, which would be down 2% from where it was uh, announced yesterday. Or, yeah, yesterday. They think the unemployment rate, uh, Goldman does, uh, could reach as low as 3.2% by 2023. Bank America, Bank America technical research strategist, a general named Stephen Suttmeyer, says late March into April is a bullish seasonal opportunity based on historical trading patterns. He said the S&P is poised to move higher and the next resistance area could be 4065 to 4080, it closed at 4012. Now, resistance area simply means that there seems to be a lot of um, what they call overhead supply of shares and so on in those levels uh, that when the S&P hits up there, you'll see a bunch of selling come in, which tends to uh, slow down the appreciation. Uh, so if you punch through that, uh, then how high is up is kind of what comes next. Uh, Jeremy Grantham, he's the, uh, I think, well-known founder of uh, the Boston Money Manager, GM&O. He says, people have long lost interest in value. It's all about what's going up and how fast it's going up. In current conditions, he says, investors cannot rely on traditional metrics such as price-earnings ratio and debt-equity ratios to determine when exactly a bubble might pop. Now, in my opinion, I don't know that there's anything around it will tell you when a bubble might pop, but there's plenty around it will tell you why it happened when it does. Now, my buddy Sam Stovall, he's back. He says, uh, and he's chief investment strategist at CFRA. He says, uh, you know, the stock market's been trading higher on reflation expectations for months. However, if the strong activity relate, excuse me, results in a better earnings outlook, it could fuel a, a further increase in the rally. Sam goes on to say, from an economic perspective, we could be underestimating, and that could end up providing a bit of a boost to the market unless interest rates rise a bunch further. He said the second quarter is often positive for stocks, with the S&P averaging a monthly gain excuse me, a quarterly gain in that period uh, of 2.8% since 1990. One other point uh, about inflation uh, consideration is that a big uptick in, in the rate might cause the Fed to raise rates sooner than 2024, which is when they're saying they would start. And uh, that would make borrowing more expensive, could weigh on growth stocks, and, well, they've done that already to some extent, and higher yields could chase some conservative investors out of stocks and back into bonds. But, you know, rising treasury bond yields are not one of the signs that a crash could be coming. The real concern behind rising yields is that it could signal higher levels of inflation and additional risk to bondholders. Uh, Mr. Warren Buffett, uh, of Omaha, Nebraska, you may have heard of him, uh, in his annual shareholder letter this year said, 
and I'm quoting, fixed income investors worldwide, whether pension funds, insurance companies, or retirees face a bleak future. Well, that's not real good. You know, uh, the thing it's important to recall, to realize, is that higher rates, higher yields, are also indicative of a rebounding U.S. economy. Stock valuations can't really go up without there being signs of a recovery. Pretty much every bounce back from a recession that I've witnessed over the past five decades has involved an uptick in Treasury bond yields. In many instances, the S&P had risen right along with the bond yields. Now, Morningstar has one other point that I think is interesting. He said, he, they say, uh, this is something of a historic bond market decline. Now, just over the past eight months, the 10-year Treasury has dropped, now this is principal, 9.5% of the value, while the 30-year bonds, because they're further out and therefore have a higher risk, have dropped by 24%. Now, the 10 years loss, you know, doesn't seem like much compared to the steepest drops in the S&P, but it is far and above how would I say, it outdoes all but four stock market slides over the past 10 years. So this is not exactly indicative of a conservative and safe investment. Remember, as interest rates rise, the prices of existing bonds will tend to drop, regardless of their quality, regardless of how much interest they pay. Again, it's just math. So let's see here. Ah, yes, the American Rescue Plan. Now, you know, there's been a lot of talk about all this stuff over the last few weeks, and it just kind of made my eyes cross, and I figured I'd just wait until it got closer to um, reality before I make any comments, so hopefully this will be a little more helpful than just whistling in the dark. Uh, you know, bargaining on these tax hikes, it's already started in D.C., at least behind the scenes, and I'm sure it's going to be a long and, how might I say, ugly process, but... I think I can say with pretty much 100% conviction that taxes are going up. Now, the tax hike, which would likely start January 1st of next year, could include the following parts, maybe. Anyway, this is just projections. A top tax rate back up to 39.6%. A corporate rate, which is now 21%, going back to close to 28%. A top rate on cap gains and dividends at about 24% versus the current 20 and a lower exemption for the estate tax. Now, the one thing we can say for sure about all this is that some of these projections will be wrong, but I think they're going to be fairly close, unfortunately. The administration has also supported applying the 39.6% tax rate uh, to, the again, the capital gains and dividends of the highest earners. Now, that could hurt the stock market and wider economy. Long-term cap gains rate hasn't been as high as what these people are projecting since the late 1970s, and the tax on the dividends rate since 2001. Raising them both that high at the same time? Now, we see a rise at 24% on cap gains and dividends as the compromise that will get the votes, I guess. You know, I... <laughs> I thought I knew what infrastructure was, but no, I didn't. Um, Savita Sub, oh man, I can never get her name right. Subramian, Subramanian, sorry, ma'am, 
she's a Bank of America equity strategist, said that the market may still need to digest the tax hikes included in the plan, creating a potential headwind for stocks. She says, I think the market is pricing in the good news of infrastructure. I don't think the market has necessarily priced in the negatives, which is how are we going to pay for all of this? Uh, First Trust Advisors, uh, headed by Brian Westbury, says, uh, and I'm quoting, with the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan signed into law, total federal expenditures on the pandemic will come to roughly $5 trillion, roughly surpassing the total inflation-adjusted cost of World War II, which was $4.1 trillion. Well, that doesn't sound cheap, does it? Now, what I'm about to share with you is from the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Uh, I thought they did a really good job of encapsulating all this stuff, and I would say that I agree with most of their conclusions and let it go at that. Um, So, here is what they say. Now, the following, again, is from the journal, and I am quoting it. Now, they said, can we finally drop the pretense that any of this is moderate or unifying or bipartisan. The administration wants to raise the corporate rate back up to 28%, but that's the least of its proposals. The proposed corporate tax increase is more than $1.5 trillion over 10 years, another $1.5 trillion coming soon on individual income and investment. That's about $300 billion a year, 1.3%. Excuse me, 1.36% of GDP every year, assuming a GDP of 22 trillion, which is what it is right now. That would be the biggest increase since 1968. Oh, goody. They also want to add penalties that would make inversions punitive. An inversion is when uh, we saw like the corporations moving their headquarters overseas, okay, because it was cheaper to operate there. And, um, the uh, administration uh, would impose a global minimum corporate tax of 21%. This would shoot the tax burden on U.S. companies back toward the top of the developed world list. At least nine major countries have, what a surprise, cut their corporate tax rates since 2017. This includes France, Sweden, and the Netherlands. The larger goal of this bill... Uh, is to end global tax competition, much as its ban on state tax cutting seeks to end income tax competition among the states. But even the Organization of uh, Economic Development has been discussing a global minimum tax of about 12%. And again, the administration, for whatever reason, wants 21%. Only in Washington would, this is again from the journal, only in Washington would the left punish American employers in the hope that the rest of the world would be as willingly self-destructive. All of this is in addition to the looming tax increases the administration wants to impose on dividends, capital gains, and other investment income. The lower 2017 corporate tax rate was intended to reduce the double taxation of corporate income that is built into the U.S. Code. If this bill becomes law, the U.S. would now have the highest overall tax burden on corporate income, 62.7% in the developed world. (sighs) Anyway, uh, let's see. Other countries are betting that low corporate tax rates will increase business investment, economic growth, and government revenue in the long term. Seems reasonable. 
The Tax Foundation reports that, quote, several countries are planning to reduce their corporate tax rates in the coming years, unquote, as competition for mobile capital and jobs intensifies. The great political fakery here is that corporate taxes merely fall on CEOs and rich shareholders. <laughs> no, not hardly. But as everyone, but apparently those in the administration knows, corporations don't really pay taxes. They're vehicles for collecting taxes that are ultimately paid by some combination of customers in the form of higher prices, workers getting lower wages, and shareholders lower returns on their investment. Now, the economic literature is clear on this point. Kevin Hassett, Apama Mathur, and Lawrence Kotlikoff and other economists have done extensive work showing how lower corporate tax rates result in higher wages. Well, no kidding. Higher after-tax profits mean more corporate investment, which means more productive workers whom companies can afford to pay more. In other words, these proposed corporate tax increases will hit the middle class hard in the value of their 401ks, the amount of their take-home pay, the cost for goods and services. This damage certainly won't show up immediately. It's like erosion, especially as the economy booms this year, but the corrosive impact will compound over the coming years. So, how much of this will pass Congress? These tax increases are so extreme, they seem intended to give Democrats like Montana Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema room to demand changes and then claim victory before voting for increases that would still be enormous. Note that the White House increased the magnitude of the increases at the insistence of the congressional left and with no input from any Republicans. Once again, the plan is to use budget reconciliation to jam through, uh, jam this $4 trillion more in spending and $3 trillion in tax increases through Congress on a partisan vote and to do so with the narrowest majority in decades. Also, as usual, and I'm st- this is still being quoted from the Wall Street Journal, also as usual, Democrats on Capitol Hill wrote the plan, not the president. That explains it's money for everybody and everything character. Along with these gigantic tax increases, the president has proven to be the perfect political front for the Warren Sanders agenda. He wants to pass an FDR agenda on a Donald Trump mandate. We hope he gets the furious resistance he's inviting. Three House Democrats say they won't support any of Joe Biden's tax hikes to fund his infrastructure structure proposal unless the plan includes a repeal of the $10,000 cap on state and local uh, deductions. Once again, these are the uh, uh, blue state people with, you know, basically coastal people, you know, high income or high real estate values. The three lawmakers say that the 10,000 limit on salt, that's what they call that state and local taxes, uh, the 10,000 limit on the tax write-offs, which was passed in former uh, the, the 2017 law, has hurt residents in their districts with high cost of living and high state and local levies by removing a substantial deduction on their federal taxes. Well, boo-hoo. Removing the cap, which would cost the federal government tax revenue, could become a key area of contention. Democrats seize the raised levies on corporations and the wealthy to pay for a bevy of infrastructure, health care, and social programs. 
in addition to costing $88.7 billion a year, revenues that some Democrats would like to direct elsewhere, doing away with the salt cap is a politically difficult issue for some members of Congress because more than half the benefits flow to households earning more than a million a year. This according to the Joint Committee on Taxation. And finally, with regard to this, Senate Minority Leader Mitch O'Connell has indicated that congressional Republicans would not support the Biden administration's $2 trillion infrastructure plan, period, paragraph, end of story. So, there you are. Uh, It looks as if there's going to be a lot of uh, backing and forthing on this thing, but now this is personal opinion. It's not facts. It's just my opinion. But it seems to me that the administration and their supporters and I would suspicion there's a few out there, really don't grasp economics. They don't understand how markets work. They just don't. Because if they did, they wouldn't be doing all this silly stuff. But in order to pay for their quote-unquote programs, they think they need to do this. So um, until cooler heads prevail, that's what we're going to have to deal with. But cooler heads will also be... uh, celebrating in wild, raucous fashion. Later today, one hopes, at around 5.30, gather all your buds and a supply of appropriate refreshments so we can watch the Zags make the UCLA's go home and maybe even keep Bill Walton quiet. (laughs) So, thank you very much for listening. Uh, We will be back next week. Hope you have a great week. Happy Easter, everybody. I do thank you for listening. This is Mike Mail. I'm with the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group, and you've been listening to Money Management. Opinions, forecasts, and case studies are for illustrative purposes only and may only be relevant at the time of recording. Certain sectors in the market, such as international and emerging markets, certain fixed income, including high-yield bonds, precious metals, mid- and small company securities, have greater risks that are generally outlined in their prospectus, contract, or offering document. Any guarantees or protections offered through insurance products are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Diversification, asset allocation are no guarantees or protections against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and there is always risk associated with investment.